This is Straight to the Source, your destination for food, views and big ideas. Brought to you by two of the best in the business, Tonya Barr and Lucy Allon. Join them to discover some of Australia's most dynamic food, hospitality and agribusiness leaders. Hello and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen. And this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward. Whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture. And we want you to know who they are, their views and their big ideas. Hello, it's time for another episode of Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr and today we're taking a dive into the ocean with Fish Girl, a.k.a. Irma Nguyen. Irma's a passionate and driven advocate for Australian branded seafood. She's a chef, she's a business owner, a mom, educator and a deep thinker. This conversation gives some insight into how she became coined Fish Girl and how we collectively can raise awareness and contribute to better use of underutilized seafood species. It's an interesting and thought-provoking chat, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Today, we're so excited because our friend Irma's here from um, Fish Girl, and she's come down from Queensland, and it's so great to see you today. Nice to be here, Tanya. So you are a businesswoman. You're, you're a qualified chef. Yes. You're a mother. Yes. And can I say soon to be grandmother? Yes. <laughs> and what, I mean, I know you wear other hats other than that. I mean, you're a seafood aficionado. Yes. A Wi-Fi connection for producers and chef. Mm-hmm. Seafood branded fashion designers for chef's menu across Australia. Um, processor. Scampy caviar. And there'll be some listeners here. You know, they've seen you on Instagram, they've seen you through your channels, and they've also, you know, learned about new species from you. So I think, um, I think this podcast would be a really good tool for them to actually learn more about you as a person. I think I started this business six years ago purely to survive. And then throughout the years, you know, because I was just selling. And then I realized I was doing national sales, but I've never traveled anywhere around Australia. So once my daughter turned 18, I went to live in each state for a month. The first week I would go to the fish market to have a look around. And what I learned was that every demographic bought differently with different species. And then it took a while. After that, I'd meet all the wholesalers just to make sure because all the chefs buy from the wholesalers. And then after that, I would spend three weeks visiting chefs or try to get visitations and go, this is what I do. You know, these are, and I think I couldn't communicate properly in the beginning. And I got to a point where I was like, no one would see me. No chefs would see me. Um, so that was really difficult. Man, you've overcome that now. <laughs> and um, it's very nice now. People are very open um, and receptive, especially even if I don't know them. And they respond to my messages now. And I think the biggest thing I got out of my business is I don't know everything. But what I do learn, I share it with anyone who wants to know about it. And I think that's um, a common denominator that we have, our businesses and us personally, because we have this this um, hunger for knowledge for ourselves, but also to share that and, and make it accessible to everyone. 
think most definitely. And I think those feelings come through and then, you know, how a product can make you feel Mm -hmm. internally. And it's very different when I tell you the story, but when we finally get you to the farm or, you know, get on you on the boat, it's completely different. And there's something magical about that. I think that level of understanding. Mm, It makes a huge difference. And it's a trickle down effect because, you know, if a chef goes to a farm and, and, and gains this education and can bring his team along and then that can get carried through. And as Lucy bangs on about constantly every single day, which we're very passionate about is front of house understanding how to then explain that to the consumer. So for me, I start from how it's caught or grown. You know, and I go all the way through for transport, logistics, to a wholesaler, what they do, what they cut, all the way to a chef, what how they create, and then I get to eat it. So I'm very, or, you know, some points we work backwards, like I've never tried this product, tell me what you guys think and I'll go eat it and then I, we work through that together mm-hmm. with no judgment. Awesome. I think that's the key. It's the no judgment. Yes. Yep. And also we have over 5,000 species of fish in the water. That's just fish. In Australia. In Australia. How many do we actually see on a menu? That's the question. Do you so, know the answer? Roughly? No, I, well, I think there's, a you know, maybe 10. You know, your basic farm, salmon, ocean trout, barramundi, yellowtail, kingfish, swordfish, tuna. I mean, swordfish, 10 years ago, no one would eat it either. So... Those underutilized species are what we really need to focus on. Not just to have a look at, just so not to overlook them because mm. they, they're there and they're not affecting our stock quota. So we were talking earlier about, you know, being females in business and being in the food industry and that we're both chefs by trade. How about you? Are you still cooking? I, I stopped cooking when my daughter turned nine because I missed um, most of her life and then I made a decision. Uh, so that I could be around more, but I think somehow I ended up working more anyway. Funny how that happens, especially when you start your own business. Yes. Well, I didn't, I only just started my business six and a half years ago. And then when I stopped cooking, I got a admin job in a wholesale division at Gambara Seafood mm-hmm. a very long time ago. And then I slowly learned to sell seafood. So do you find having those culinary skills helpful, though? Because you're working with a lot of chefs, aren't you? Um, they, I didn't know at the time because I felt that I had to learn a lot about fish, but fish and seafood was actually a lot more complex than cooking. Mm-hmm. So many variations, different. You know, when a chef would leave an order on the answering machine and they just wanted prawns, it was what type of prawns, green, whole, cutlet, what species, what size. So it's got... It was no longer a prawn. Prawn had so many categories of its own. So then seafood became really fascinating because everything had so much more layered to it. And in the six and a half years, have you seen the seafood industry change much? Um, Yes and no, but also I'm growing. So I see things differently. How so? I noticed that, you know, in the beginning I used to be hung up that because I kind of look quite young, a lot of people wouldn't respect me on a business level or even have a meeting with me because they thought I wouldn't know a lot. And then uh, there was a lot of emphasis that, you know, you were female. So then I forget that I'm a female and this is why I'm getting treated this way. But when you walk into a market, 
whether it's in Australia or overseas, and you notice there are no real females around, you do feel it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I think there is a trend or there's a change as more women coming through. But also I just let go. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter, you know, because I could be hung up on, you know, not getting paid as much as them. But if I just kept doing what I'm doing, it was fine. And do you find that you're, um, you know, mentoring others now or do you find you're still in that? Indirectly I am. And also like because I participated in a national seafood leadership industry program 2018, you know, I participate in as much as I can with some of those in some of those um, programs, because I've already graduated, a lot of the new cohorts going through doing the courses are calling me to ask me to be their mentor. And how does that make you feel? I was very uncomfortable, firstly, because I was very uncomfortable with that in the sense that, you know, how could I know more than them? I mean, in all of Australia, there's a lot of people who know a lot more than me. So then... I didn't want to say no straight away because at some point someone mentored me. So then I'm like, okay, well, what can I give back? And then I have a conversation with these individuals and I said, you know, can you tell me why in all of Australia you picked me? And second to that, it's a two-way street. You know, we're busy. If I give you time, it has to be reciprocated, vice versa. And I'm not a mentor. Like I'm not above you. We learn together and I share it and whatever we share is between us. So the trusting and then we build off that, but it's optional. If they don't reciprocate, then that's, you know, we can start over or we just be amicable. But it was confronting in the beginning, but now it's better. What are some of the most common questions that you get from chefs? I think over the last couple of years, uh, two things. Local, when I first started, local meant within Australia. Uh Over the last two, three years, local meant regional to wherever they were based. And the word sustainability It was quite a complex word. I think, you know, there was a trending word. Um, But now I think there's more definition between that. And I think as I learn, what I'm learning is sustainability isn't about just constantly making sure that we have products, but it also has to change as our environment changes. Which we're seeing a lot of right now in particular. Yes, very much so. And whether people believe it or not, it's here. And also the environmental factor of, you know, What can we do with plastics, polys, and, you know, day by day. And we can't eliminate cars. We, you know, things are still getting delivered in trucks, but what can we do slowly and bit by bit? Because we can't take over the world straight away, but as long as it's systematic and we're all doing our part together. So what is the industry plan or do you know with regards to styrofoam and the packaging from a, you know, I know that there's like, that's not my field, but I know that. But sure, t- surely you've heard some, some I know by rumors 2000, on the street. I know by 2025 that it will be eliminated. Mm. It is compulsory by then. Yeah. It'll be a government thing. Um, biodegradable stuff is coming in, recyclable plastics coming in. You know, people are, re- you know, reusable cardboards with wax to keep things insulated. But on what level and the cost of that, I'm not sure. So, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but I think everyone's aware of it. And I think there's some, if we worked as a whole, like not just in Australia, but all over the world, which I think is happening, they will come up with something. All right. Let's talk about underutilized species. What is your viewpoint on that? Um, I think it's a big, 
it's a big thing and with the way the cost of things underutilized doesn't mean just the species that no one knows it's also certain parts of the product that people won't use because it just gets discarded yes it gets discarded i think we're very spoiled mm-hmm. i think um trying to learn not to waste is important i think the underutilized being caught by producers we need to help the producers if it's a product that gets caught alongside a main species. Like, for example, our scamby is our main catch, but then we'll get ama ebbies or razorback prawns. What can we do to help the producers not waste that? So we, te- we teach chefs how to try it, use it. They're small. They're not an overly big prawn, so no one wants them because they're small in the beginning. But if we had nothing left to eat we would use everything because we can dehydrate the prawns. We can peel the prawns, have a sashimi. We can ceviche it. I'm sure we can mince it up. Um, you know, as, as a collective, we can do a lot. And those peeled shells, we can make into an oil or a stock. There's a lot of things we can do. But just a different viewpoint instead of this is a problem. If we looked at the problem as opportunities, then... If we rephrase how we think and if we could recondition the way we think, where would we be with all our problems? Mm. Well, that kind of rolls into this podcast. In fact, it's about big ideas. And we've heard a lot of different um, viewpoints and, and different big ideas that have come across. And And what's a big idea that you think would be helpful for chefs and, and, and also from a procurement point of view? I think if we have one chef with one problem, they'll be the same with one product. But if we had a hundred chefs working on the one product, like one problem outside of their existing and look outside the box, for example, we might not be able to use this prawn in Australia as a whole or any, you know, restaurant, culinary restaurant, because, you know, the market here doesn't want it. But as a nation, if we could come up with a value added product that is Australian, to help producers then supply a food protein to countries all over the world that can't afford it or don't have food. Well, isn't that a great idea? It's a big idea and it could be one that has legs, you know? Well, also in the sense that if we are so sidetracked by this is what we want and we've never been without, if we just stopped for one second and thought what would happen if we were without and then relate it to people all over the world, where would we be as a nation to be able to feed other people when we have so much resources as it is? And that is such a good question. And I think that's a question we should actually put out as a bit of a survey because where would we be? What what kind of big ideas could we collectively come up with and then solve and then perhaps do, do something for another country or or another region within Australia. And our, our Australian water is so regulated. You know, we're very blessed that, you know, we have rules in place to ensure that we always will never run out of something for stock depletion or anything. So I think we take a lot of things for granted. What is it about the aquaculture and the seafood industry that you enjoy? Aquaculture has its own challenges. I think um, the most interesting thing about aquaculture is people think that it just grows on a tree or whatnot or it's like farms, but they have their own um, challenges compared to wild. The amazing thing about aquaculture is what they're trying to learn to do. 
like, you know, they've got solar, they cultivate, like, you know, Rocky Point, for example, has got solar, they're cultivating their own algae, they're, you know, got plans to put oysters into filter clean, vertical integration. But the long-term picture is to constantly have a food protein supply that is sustainable. We don't put anything back out. So when I first started, a lot of chefs didn't like aquaculture. They just had this mindset that, no, we only want wild. Well, if they're looking at the weather now, um, none of us have Mother Nature's number. So she's going to do whatever she wants. Mm. And then all of a sudden, your menu's affected. Uh, how do you get supply? How do you have consistent continuity? So agriculture will be food of the future within reason as well and to some extent. So how have you found from a logistical point of view? Do you see that opening up more now? Yes and no. If they are a small enough company to do the smaller orders, then definitely, or, you know, chefs have to pick up from farm gates. But logistically, freight and fuel is still significantly high and there's a massive shortage of staff in all industries. Mm. So the question will then be, well, can a chef leave his kitchen to go somewhere to pick up a piece of fish because they think it's going to save them money? That's the question. Like, So there's a lot of, you know, we want to go direct, we want to go direct, but then are they picking up their seafood in a refrigerated truck that's HACCP approved? So there's a lot of other little questions that they really need to ask. I mean, ideally, yes, people want to go straight, but logistically they have to be, you know, are they really saving money when they've been pulled away from their work? And they're still paying petrol. And, yeah, and their time. And, yeah. and then the other question is, yes, they'll come pick up in their truck, but in their car, but, you know, one photo these days will then cause the producer more problems than it's worth. Mm, and you've seen that firsthand. Yes. I can tell by your face. Yes. <laughs> like ideally it'd be great, but, you know, like anything, you have to cover their costs. Same with a chef. We, I don't go in and order an entree and negotiate my entree pricing because I've respected that they've had to work out their costs and labor costs. So it's about a mutual understanding from all aspects or all facets of the whole chain. If you weren't working in the food industry, what industry would you be in? It's not possible. I yeah. like eating too much. I like eating too much. And I think the, the biggest connection to the food is it's like, it's almost like mass. And like it's the same in every language and we all need to eat to survive. Mm -hmm. So I might as well enjoy it. And I'm very blessed with what I do. Well, Fish Girl, you're, where can people find you? I know Instagram is a, is a very, um, active place where you, where you tend to be, but where, where can people reach out to you? Mainly Instagram. Okay. That's my only platform. I can't, um, or else it's too hard to manage. It's too much to manage. And I don't remember all my passwords <laughs> to get into, like, get in. So if, if, if somebody wants to reach out to you and, and, and learn more about certain species that you're, that you're working with, they can go to Fish Girl on Instagram and just private message you. Yeah, they direct message me. And, you know, at the moment, I'm predominantly based in Queensland. I do travel a lot. I do have Vivida working for me in Sydney. So if I can't get there, you know, she's happy to come out and make an appointment and talk to you about other things. But, you know, new products will be posted on Instagram. It's just like this way, you know, everyone sees it at the same time. There's no favoring. Well, in our show notes, we'll put some links in there too. 
And uh, thank you so much for, for coming in today. And it's really nice to have you in Sydney. And we're going to see if we can harness you a bit longer. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some more extraordinary guests lined up and we would love you to join us again. So please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd also love to hear any of your feedback, good or bad, or perhaps you've got a guest you'd love to hear from. You can let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to, and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of the Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.